Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here today. We are going to continue our series. I know it's Father's Day, and this is an odd topic for Father's Day. We're talking about deceit and deceitfulness today, but it's a part of our series and a part of our topic. And, uh, you know, it's important for all of us to be honest, especially fathers, because you set a standard for the home that you live in. You set a standard for the children that follow you. And if you are a dishonest man, your children will learn to be dishonest children as they grow up. It's a very important thing. So I want to introduce it to you with a story out of the Old Testament. Israel has recently divided into two different nations. And Israel has uh, got a northern kingdom now that is called Israel and a southern kingdom that's called Judah. And there's this sanctuary that Jeroboam, the new king, is building in Bethel and he is inaugurating this new religion and his idea is we're going to keep all of the Israelites from going down here to Jerusalem to worship and we're going to have them worship up here in the mountains. And so he, as he is inaugurating this, God speaks to a prophet, a young man, a young prophet, who lives down here in the southern part of the nation of Judah. And he tells him, I want you to go to Bethel and I want you to confront Jeroboam about this new religion. And I want you to tell him that this religion, all of his priests are eventually going to be burned on the altar of this religion and that it's a bad idea to do this. So he takes off and he goes up and he tells him another thing. He says, when you get there, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, and when you turn around to come home, you come a different route than you went. So he gets up there, and everybody's gathered, and they have this huge gathering, and they're starting this new religion, and Jeroboam's getting it kicked off, and this young man stands up, and he confronts him right there in the middle of the whole thing. Now, that would be weird to us, wouldn't it, if somebody were to stand up and confront the preacher in the middle of the service. But that's what happened. And Jeroboam, as the king, looked at him and said, Get him! To his soldiers. And when he did, his arm just withered up. And he couldn't pull it back in. I mean, it just died. And he goes, Uh-oh. And he looks at this guy, and he says, Will you pray for me? I mean, that was a pretty quick turnaround, wasn't it? And the young man, the young prophet speaks to God and he says, God, restore his hand, please. And God restored his hand. That'd be amazing. And Jeroboam, always the uh, consummate politician, says, hey, this would be a good guy to have on my side. He says, why don't you come back to the house with me, to the palace, and I will give you anything your heart desires. Just come eat, drink, be my friend. And the young prophet responds to him, It was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. He tells him, he says, If you gave me half of everything you own, I wouldn't come to your house. Because God told me not to. And this is a young man intent on obeying God, right? He's going to do what God tells him to do. And so, 
An old prophet lived in Bethel and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Now this old prophet, I've got a couple of questions. One, why didn't God send the old prophet? I mean, he lives right there. What's wrong with this guy? Number two, this guy has two sons that have gone to this inaugural service of this false god, this false religion, and they come home and tell dad what happened. My second question is, what are his boys doing at this false religious service? Makes you wonder a little bit. Well, this prophet, they tell him what happened. He said, what way did he go? And they told him, so he went after him, and he found him sitting under an oak tree. Now, this young man has stood up in a huge crowd. He's confronted the king. He's been threatened with arrest. He's been offered huge rewards, and he's faithfully served God. And he turns around and he leaves. And he's resting under an oak tree. And this old prophet finds him. And the prophet says to him, I am a prophet as you are. An angel of God spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. So he finds this guy and he says, hey, come back. The guy says, no, I can't do that. God said, don't eat bread or drink water. He says, yeah, but I'm a prophet too. And God sent an angel to send me to find you and to bring you back to my house. This is a change of events. The next sentence. But he lied to him. An angel didn't come to this old guy. Why would he do... I don't know why he did this. I have no idea why he did this. But he did. And he went and he lied to the young man. And the young man... You think he believed the lie? He did. He believed an angel sent this guy. And because he believed that lie, he went home with this old prophet and they sat down to eat and he ate bread and he drank water and he was having a meal and no doubt telling the old prophet about everything that had happened and what God had done. And then God speaks to the old prophet. And God says, you tell this young man that you're talking to right now that I said he's going to die before he gets home. So the old prophet tells the young man, you're going to die before you get home because you came here to my house and ate. And of course that ruined the meal. And they uh, got up, he saddled up and headed home, the young man did. And sure enough, as he went away, a lion met him in the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road. And a donkey stood beside it and a lion also <laughs> stood beside the body. Now, this young man dies and eventually the old man goes and gets his bones and the old man's buried in the same grave as him. And there's a lot of other things in the story. But the point of this story that I wanted to draw out today since we're talking about deceit is a lie. This was damaging. It cost this guy his life. This faithful servant of God had gone and done all this great stuff and he believes a lie and ends up God killing him or sending a lion to kill him. You know, the Bible's full of stories like this. One of the stories we could have talked about was Jacob and how, not my son Jacob, but Jacob in the Bible, and how he deceived his father. Maybe that would have been a better story for Father's Day. I don't know. But there's story after story after story in the Bible about deceit. 
and about the terrible things that happen. And you know, it's no wonder with that being the case that there are passage after passage after passage that talk about the dangers and the bad of deceit. This is, we're not going to read all of these, but this is just a tiny little list of passage after passage that warns against deceit and lying. And knowing that all this stuff is in the Bible, is it any wonder that in the book of Revelation, when talking about the end, the, the apostle John writes, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Everyone who lies. Now, as we talk about this, I told you, Yancey, yesterday, I said, you know, when I was first given this topic, I thought, well, that'll be easy. Read Revelation 21.8, okay, all of you be honest, don't lie, go home. And it's really a little more complex than that. The truth is, every one of us have dirty hands when we're talking about this, right? You ever lied to anybody? Have you? I have. You ever been dishonest? I have. The truth is, everyone sitting in this audience who's old enough, you don't even have to teach children to lie, do you, Corey? I mean, they learn to lie. They, they just almost born lying, right? I mean... It's just a part of humanity. It's a part of, of our nature. We're going to talk about that. When we talk about deceit, there are some phrases that the Bible uses to describe deceit. One of them, the real, real common one that we're all very familiar with, is the idea of bearing false witness. You know, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. To bear, you know what a witness is? A witness is someone who saw something, right? And they tell you what they saw. Well, to bear false witness means to give testimony to something that didn't in fact happen the way you say it did. You know, they hired false witnesses to lie against Jesus in His trial. History is full of stories of false witnesses, people who've given witness to something, said, yeah, that's what they told me. I heard it. I saw it. And it's really not the way it is. Or someone who denies something and says, no, they didn't say that. They didn't do that. When really they did. That's bearing false witness. We've got just the common word to lie. Lying is saying something that's untrue or denying something that is true. We've all, as children, told lies to our parents, haven't we? Did you do this? No, I didn't do that, Mom. No, I didn't do that, Dad. But really, you did. Lying is something that's common in our politicians. Are any of you surprised when a politician lies? Any of us surprised to find out the president was lying about something? No. That's a common thing. So, we understand that deceit and lying, it's bearing false witness, it's saying things that aren't true. And like I said, it's, it's not anything that's terribly uncommon in our world today. People lie all the time about meaningless things. But I want to talk about briefly some of the things that we're not discussing when we talk about being deceitful. We're not talking about surprises. 
And one of the things, y'all know what crowdsourcing is, right? It's when you get input from a lot of different people on something. And I talked to a lot of people about this sermon. And you can get really caught up in the weeds of all these theoretical situations that could possibly happen and, and whether saying this or that would be right or wrong in that situation. One of them that comes up is surprise parties. I mean, if we were going to throw a surprise birthday party for someone, well, you can't tell them because if you tell them, it's, it's not a surprise, right? So how do you avoid... Is it sinful? That's not what we're talking about today. Surprises is just having a good thing we want someone to know at the right time. It's not being deceitful in the sense that the Bible condemns deceitfulness. It's a very different thing. What about games, somebody says? You know, we play games like Balderdash where there's, there's a word nobody knows and you have to write a definition and try to fool everyone. You bluff that's not the deceit this is talking about in the Bible. That's just having fun in games. There's harmless fun. Fun with good motives. I know a lot of parents talk to their kids about tooth fairy and things like that. That's not what we're talking about in the Bible when it talks about being deceitful. We're not talking about private information. You know, sometimes people will confide in you and they'll tell you things that are very private. The fact that you don't share that with other people is not being deceitful. That's maintaining privacy of private information. We're not talking about concealing truth from wicked people. You know, one scenario that comes up all the time when you talk about this is, well, what if you're hiding Jewish children in your attic and the Nazis come knock on your door and say, do you have Jewish children in your attic? Are you going to lie or are you going to tell the truth? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about concealing truth from wicked men who would do wickedness with that. That's not what the Bible has in view. We're also not talking about unspoken opinion. One of the things that's important when you discuss this is to realize that just because I think it's true doesn't mean I have to say it. And it's not being deceitful. Guys, if you think that dress is not really attractive on your wife, you don't have to say that. You're not being deceitful if you don't say that. You can tell her, you always look beautiful to me, which should be true to you as a husband. You always look beautiful to me. That's not the idea that we're addressing. We're also not talking about mistakes. Sometimes people make mistakes. There's a difference in a mistake and malice. Those are very different things. You might say, well, uh, my wife might ask me, where is something in the house? And I go, oh, it's over here. And she goes and looks. She goes, it's not there. Well, I wasn't lying to her. I just forgot or I put it there and it's been moved or something. A mistake is not the same thing as malice. And in some situations, circumstantially, we're not talking about sparing pain. I have some friends and... Um, her father has Alzheimer's, and her mom died. They told the father, your wife of 60-some years has died. And he grieved. And he woke up the next morning, and he says, where's Martha? He doesn't remember that she died. And they said, well, Dad, Mom died. And he grieves again. 
And the next morning he wakes up and he says, where's Martha? They say, Dad, Mom died. And he grieves again. We're not talking about sparing pain from someone, telling him over and over and over every day that his wife died. When the Bible talks about us not being deceitful, we get caught up in all these, these theoretical scenarios, and some of them are real, but these, these things that aren't the point, they're not the heart of what we're talking about. So when we talk about this in the sermon today, don't let yourself get caught up in all these outlying scenarios, but let's talk about the heart of what God's saying. God is considering in the Bible when we intentionally cause someone to believe an untruth from an impure motive. When I have a motive that's not pure, when I have some self-serving or some, some deceitful motive, and I say something or don't say something to cause you to believe an untruth, that's what we're talking about when we talk about deceit. We're talking about white lies and exaggerations and half-truths and technicalities and mental reservations and misrepresentations and omissions and insincerity and flattery and excuse and even silence at times. You know, a lie doesn't have to be a big, black, ugly lie to be a lie. It can be a simple misrepresentation, a white lie or an exaggeration. Do you exaggerate your accomplishments so people will think more highly of you? Do you exaggerate the badness of what someone else has done to get people on your side in an argument? That's deceitful. That's wrong. It can be a half-truth like Satan gave in the Garden of Eden. You know, everything he said there wasn't wrong. They would gain a knowledge of good and evil. It was just a half-truth. That's why in court you have to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to cover all those bases. It can be a technicality. That's a big one, especially with young people, technicalities. Well, what I actually said was, technically, I had a teacher that told me one time she never lied to her parents. She told her whole class that. Of course, we knew better than that because everyone's lied to their parents, right? And we challenged her, and she said, well, a lot of times I didn't tell the truth, but I never lied. We said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, like for instance, one time Dad told me I could take the car and go to my friend's house and then go over to a neighboring, or as long as we didn't go to a neighboring town to a club over there. So I took the car, went to my friend's house, we disconnected the odometer cable, which back in that day you could do easily, and drove to the neighboring town, went to the club, came back, reconnected the odometer cable so Dad wouldn't know we had the extra miles on the car, and went home. And my dad said, where did you go tonight? And I said, to my friend's house. Well, she did. But she was being deceitful, wasn't she? You see, that technicality, the technicality is deceit used in that way. Mental reservation or insincerity, that's when you say you're going to do something but you don't have any intention of doing it. In your mind, you're going, yeah, when I, yes, I'll do that when I get around to it. In your mind, mental reservation, that's, that's dishonesty. 
can be simply omitting context. You know, you see this all the time in the media. They'll have a quote and they'll have three little dots in the middle of the quote. You know, they may be said 10 years apart, but they put them together like they're one quote, omitting the context of something. That's dishonesty. That's dis displeasing to God. It can be flattery. You know what flattery is? It's excessive praise. You flatter someone not because you love them, but because you're using them. That's what flattery is. It's manipulation, trying to get an end result that you want out of those people. It can be excuses where we shift the blame to other people. It's remaining silent when you know your silence allows and assists in someone else believing something to their detriment or your benefit that's not true. Well, what they don't know won't hurt them, so I don't tell them. That, all of this is the idea of deceit. And when the Bible condemns that, it condemns it from ground one to the very end of the Bible because it's offensive to God for His people to be deceitful. Well, why is it so offensive to God? Why is deceit any more offensive to God than anything else? Let me give you a few reasons deceit is so offensive to God. Number one, God never lies. If we're to be godly and be like Him, God never lies. In Titus 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. God does not lie. God tells the truth. God speaks the truth. Not only that, but His Son Jesus Christ said He is truth. So a lie is the opposite of what Jesus Christ is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the very embodiment of truth as truth walked here on this earth. But you know who isn't? Satan. Satan, the Bible says, is the father of lies. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Is it any wonder God is lying? You know, my natural... My native language is English. I speak naturally in English. Now, I know a few words in Ibu, and I know a few words in Spanish, and I know a few words in some... I'm not fluent in any other language. I can, but even if I gain fluency in another language, my natural, my native tongue is English. Satan's native tongue is lies. That's what he does. Is it any wonder God hates that? Because God's native language is truth. And His children, His people, for their native tongue to be that of His enemy is a problem. For them to speak the way the enemy speaks. You know, in fact, lies are the very way sin came into this world. Satan initially said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's a lie. And you know what the Bible tells us about Eve? It says Eve was deceived in the book of Timothy. It says Eve really believed the devil, just like that young prophet believed that old prophet. Satan introduced sin into this world through deceit. 
it should be no wonder that God hates lying. In fact, all through the Bible, deceit is intimately tied with sin and sinfulness. Do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. He says that to Christians. He says, you guys, don't lie to each other. Tell each other the truth. Don't lie. Why? Because you've put off the old man. Why? The old man lied. That's the kind of person the old man was. The old man was going to put something on his resume that wasn't true. But a Christian doesn't. The old man was going to manipulate the outcome of a conversation by telling partial truths and exaggerations and half-truths and white lies. But not the new man. But you see, all through Scripture, it's time. And you know that's true. Think about your own life, the times you've lied. Weren't you hiding sin? Or weren't you facilitating sin when you lied, when you were deceitful? We all were. We all have. You know, another thing I believe is a reason that God hates lies is God loves your neighbor. Scripture tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven for He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We love the good. We love the just. It's hard for us to love the evil people, isn't it? It's hard for us to love bad people. God does. God loves you, but He also loves your neighbor. And when you say something about your neighbor or to your neighbor that's untrue, you know what Solomon said that's like? Solomon said that's like a man who bears false witness against his neighbors like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. He said, for you to lie about somebody is assault. That's what it is. You're assaulting their character. You're murdering their reputation. In God's eyes, for you to lie about someone is the same as you assaulting them. That's why God hates it. I'll tell you one last reason that I believe God hates deception is that we as people are prone to self-deceit. We deceive ourselves. The Bible tells us that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. We can excuse. Do you ever make excuses to yourself? you ever justify what you do to yourself? You know it's not right. You don't feel good about it. You feel ashamed of it, but you make excuses you make justifications in your own mind about what you're doing because we as humans are prone to self-deceit. And deceit leaves us, leads us away from God. So let me ask you, the truth is we're all deceitful at times. The truth is God hates deceit. Why are we deceitful? The Bible says our heart, the human heart, is deceitful above all things. Do you think your heart has been deceitful? Do you think your heart's been deceitful? I know the truth of this passage has been true with me. I've known that was true. There have been times in my life where I wasn't honest in so many ways. And you know, 
really, when we talk about deceit and you look at the stories in the Bible of all these people who are deceitful, and you see the terrible things they do, and you see the end result and you go, how could you be so dumb? I mean, really, how could you be so dumb as to do something like that? But I'll tell you why I believe people are so dumb as to do things like that. You look at all these people in the Bible who were deceitful, the results of their deceit. Satan convinced Eve to sin. Did Satan get what he wanted out of that? Sure did at the moment. David hid his sin for a while, his deceitfulness. Absalom stole a kingdom from his father with his deceitfulness. Amnon got Tamar, the woman of his desires, through his deceitfulness. The Pharisees appeared righteous to everyone by deceiving them about the outside of the cup. Peter escaped arrest by his deceitfulness. And Jewish leaders got rid of Jesus. I've got a little asterisk here because they didn't really, but they got rid of Him for a while. They thought they'd gotten rid of Him. You see, in every case, deceitfulness helped these people get what they wanted. Didn't it? They got what they wanted by being deceitful. Now the truth is, when you and I look at things and the deceitfulness in our lives, it's always because there was something we wanted, some benefit to ourselves we thought would come from that deceitfulness. Now, once again, I'm not talking about a surprise party or your grandpa that had Alzheimer's, but I'm talking about deceitfulness as condemned in Scripture. You see, deceit is a natural byproduct of self-interest. When I'm concerned about me, when I'm concerned about getting something that I want, fulfilling a desire of mine, achieving some goal of mine, that's when I'll be deceitful. You guys see it at work all the time, don't you? You see people who will, will backstab a fellow employee and take credit for something that employee did, and they get the promotion over that guy. You've seen that happen over and over, haven't you? Or they will undercut another employee to get them in trouble. You've seen that, you see that stuff all the time in this. Why do we do that? Because of self-interest. I do that because there's some benefit or perceived benefit to me. It helps me get what I want. That's the heart of this. We are deceitful because we get something from it. We're not deceitful because there's no benefit, but we're deceitful. And you think about the deceitfulness in your own life. Most of the deceitfulness that we participate in is because we want to look better than we are to someone else. We want someone to think more highly of us than is the truth. We want them to see only the good and none of the bad in us. We want our reputations to be lifted up. We want them to be impressed with us. We're concerned about what other people think. Or the other thing is trying not to look bad and trying to get out of trouble. Trying to avoid the consequences for what bad we've done. That's what Adam and Eve did. They hid their sin in the garden through deceitfulness. 
And we've all done it at times. We've all done something that was wrong and then we took steps to cover up so it wouldn't be caught, so it wouldn't be found. That is this whole idea of deceitfulness. It's this self-interest. It's putting me and my desires above other people. And I want to tell you that as a Christian, my concern should not be, and I know you know this, but my concern should not be what you think about me. My concern should be what God thinks about me. You know, Jesus already knows the truth. Me deceiving you about the truth is is irrelevant and immaterial and useless. And yet, for some reason, we all struggle with this desire to be pleasers of men, which is condemned over and over and over in Scripture. You may get some benefit like these people did, but this benefit is always temporary. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward, his mouth will be full of gravel. You can also think of a time in your life where you were deceitful and thought you were getting away with something. And then later, you're going, how could I have been so dumb? How could I have done that? And it turned, turned on you. And your mouth was full of gravel. So, if we understand the ugliness, what do we do? How do we go about addressing this? Well, there are many, many passages in the Bible that don't just say it's wrong, but they talk about changing. Here's one of them. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He says you need to put away lying and put on telling the truth. Now, what does that mean to put... Well, stop it. Don't lie anymore. Yes, but that's true, but... It's more than that. You know, yesterday we had a lake day and a bunch of us went out to the lake. And we, when we went to the lake, I had on my swimsuit and we had the canoe and, and swimsuit and I went out and swam in the lake and took the canoe out and all. But after a little while, I got tired of being in those wet clothes. So I went up and I changed into some dry clothes. I put off the swimsuit and I put on some dry clothes. Okay? I didn't just pull my dry clothes up over my swimsuit. That wouldn't be... I put off one thing and put on... We understand that. This whole passage here, he talks about putting off one thing and putting on something else. He says, that old man that you used to be and all of us used to be, you don't be that way anymore. But you replace it with something else. Now, it's not good enough just to try to stop. You can't just say, okay, well, I'm not going to tell lies anymore. It doesn't work that way. What you have to do is you have to become a truth teller instead of a liar. You see, if you're a truth teller, you're not a liar anymore. If you're a liar who's trying not to lie, you're still a liar. But if you're a truth teller... You're not a liar anymore. And you become a truth teller by doing a couple of things. One, you learn to love truth. You commit yourself to truth to become this truth teller. You learn to love what's true. You think about the good that truth brings. You think about the benefit of truth. 
you think about the consequences of lies and you fill your heart with all these passages that we've looked at, if you have a problem with deceitfulness, get you a commentary, not a commentary, a concordance, or you can Google nowadays, and look up deceit in the Bible and start memorizing those verses. See what God, and what you do is you fill your heart with not just the verses of condemnation on deceit, but also the verses that talk about the benefit of truth and how God is a God of truth and He wants me to be a person of truth. And then you commit yourself that every time I open this mouth, I'm going to spew truth out of it. And if I can't speak truth, I'm not going to speak at all. I am committed to fulfilling truth with my words. Now that happens as we fill our hearts with truth. Because Jesus said all the sins, all the wickedness in the world, He said all that that defiles us, it comes out of our heart. So if you're someone who colors the facts, you're someone who won't really speak truth when you're in a jam, that's because that's the way your heart is. And your heart's what needs addressed. Your heart's what needs changed. And He tells us in Romans that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means filling my mind with God's truth. You know, there are all kinds of things you could pursue with your life. You could pursue medical knowledge. I have friends and relatives who study health all the time. And they can tell you, why doctors are wrong and why doctors don't know what they're doing and how this ancient herb does this and this essential oil does that. And, I mean, they devote themselves to knowledge of physical health. And there's nothing wrong with knowing about physical health. But are you pursuing truth spiritually? Are you pursuing making your heart a heart after God? Some people pursue truth politically. We need to stand up. We need to take back America. We need to be speaking truth politically. And Christians need to qu quit being quiet and stand up and we got to know truth, speak truth. That's, that's all fine. But are you pursuing the truth of making your heart like Jesus with the same vigor that you're pursuing your political truth? There are all kinds of truths that we could talk about that people devote themselves to. But I'm calling you to this. Every one of us is somewhere on this scale. When I was talking the other day about these, these faux pas type sins and how there's this spectrum, and I said, we're all somewhere on the spectrum. Jacob thought that was pretty funny that I said we were all on the spectrum. But we're all on the scale from complete dishonesty to perfect honesty. And the message that I have for you today is you need to be moving that direction. You need to be working on your heart to make your heart like Jesus. Not just so you know economically or politically or medically or some other way what's really the truth. All that stuff is going to die and it's going to end with this life but spiritual truth. You need to be shaping your heart, working, dedicated every day to try to make your heart more like Jesus Christ. 
You need to be moving toward more perfect honesty in every aspect of your life. And when you say something that's not true, one of the things that I've learned is when you say something that's not true, immediately correct yourself. Stop and go, well, you know what? That's not exactly right. Here's the exact truth. And just immediately correct that. Don't dismiss it. Don't color it. Don't excuse it. Correct it. And move on with truth. Become this truth-telling kind of person. I want to conclude with this passage right here. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The things you say matter, and it matters whether God's people are a people who speak truth. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear. You don't need to swear because as a Christian, as a child of God, if I tell you yes, it should mean yes. And if I tell you no, it should mean no. Because that's the way God speaks. We will be judged by our words, not because the words themselves carry the meaning, but that the words come from the heart. And the heart and the condition of the heart that we have, if it's a dishonest, deceitful heart, that does not please God. And that's shown in the words that we speak and the honesty or dishonesty of our interactions with other people. I hope you've been encouraged today. And I hope you're thinking about your heart. And I hope you're thinking, you know what? I can do better. I can move that direction. I can move toward perfect honesty in my life. And the truth is, all my dealings have not been completely honest and I want to change that. From now forward, from today on, I can't undo the dishonesty of the past, but from today on, I'm going to speak truth and I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to tell people what's right. And I'm going to devote myself not to the affairs of this world, but to making my heart like the heart of Jesus Christ, who would always speak what was true and what was charitable and what was beneficial for those. If you have really been a dishonest person and that's really, really characterized your life and you want us to pray for you and help you, we want to do that today. If there's some other need that you have, something different that has just really struck your heart today and you want us to pray with you and for you, we would be happy to provide that too. But my big call to you today is not necessarily just to come to the front. My big call to you today is to walk out of here with a renewed commitment that you know what? Starting now, I'm going to be honest. And that's that's the way I'm going to live my life. And it's going to get me in some jams and it may ruffle up some relationships I've got at times. But it's I'm not going to worry about what people think about me anymore. I'm going to be concerned about what God thinks about me. And I'm going to let that guide the things that I say. If there's any way the church can assist you, we offer a song of invitation if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.